Hello and welcome to Dream Life Best Fit Role with me, Nikki Smith. I'm a psychologist and a career and business coach. I believe everybody can love their work and I help people to use their natural strengths to transform their work life and love their job. Hey everyone, I'm Nikki Smith, psychologist, career coach and redundancy coach and today I'm welcoming Jodie Smith to have a chat. Welcome Jodie. Hello, thanks for having me. <laughs> You're very welcome. So um, Jodie's here today because I want to explore all the tips and tricks to get into a government role, whether you've done a government role before or not. One of the top myths or assumptions that I hear is that you, you really need to have worked in government before to get a role in there. So thank God we've got Jodie to dispel that myth or assumption today and many, many more tips. So first up, I'm going to invite Jodie to share a bit about what she does now and her pathway to get there. And then we'll dive into all the, the juicy tips. Awesome. So I'm working in government at the moment, talent acquisition. I've, I've led teams within government before in the same space, talent acquisition, both in government and external. So I've had that jump into government and back out and then back in and back out. So that's quite common these days. You don't usually, I mean, you do still find people that are sort of career, you know, lifers in government and it's a very great place to work. But um, yeah, there's a lot of people that jump in and out like me um, mm-hmm. when I just don't and never decide what I want to do. So <laughs> um, <laughs> there's the best of both worlds, I think. Very, very different worlds. Yeah, they both have things to offer and um, challenges in both as well, both in private and public. So I got into talent acquisition just by, I think everyone gets into recruitment by accident. And it's like a running joke. I think no one ever grows up wanting to be in recruitment, but they, like I just went in to register with an agency and then got a job there and then moved onto a desk and started recruiting and then ended up leaving agency land and got a temp job, temp temp talent acquisition role in government and had never planned to get into government either. I just suddenly ended up there, but really enjoyed it. So I've stayed there and then hopped back out and back in and I'm back in at the moment. (laughs) Yeah, I'm working within the Department of Justice on a short-term contract. Previously worked in roads and Department of Justice as well. I worked there a few years ago. So yeah, a couple of different departments, um, but quite major ones. And mm-hmm. when I worked with roads, they were a startup. So they were a major road project. And that was only quite a startup. We'd sort of separated from big roads. And that was a whole mind boggling situation. It was, we'd separated. We were a startup government agency. We had people that had been in government for ages. We we're also trying to recruit half the workforce. It was wow. you know, all brand new people. It was, it was crazy. So that was very interesting. Brilliant. Okay. So thank you for sharing all of that. Let's cover up that first myth or assumption first, because I think it really sets the context beautifully. You know, where did this even come from that people think you need to get into government, stay in government? What do you have to say about that one? Oh, it's hard to say. Like, I, I don't speak for everyone. It's my own opinion. But I think a lot of it is just historic and it probably used to be that way back in the day. And I've even had, as in talent acquisition, I've had very managers that are like, oh, I want someone with government experience. And I think it's our job to then query that and be like, why? And a lot of the time people are like, oh, they just know, they know government, they know our policies. And I'm like, every organisation has policies <laughs> and strict procedures that you have to adhere to, especially there's a lot of transferable things there. Even if you've worked in a startup or you've worked in a, a big bank or something, you know, they're very similar in terms of their structure and hierarchy. So there's a lot of similarities. So it's me as a recruiter, I will always interrogate those sorts of statements. Have you come across people who've actually said we're open to external or internal? Oh yeah. Yep. All right. the time. And that's actually really common now. I think things are changing a lot in government now. There's a lot more, like when I first started, you'd cover your tattoos and I'm I'm covered in tattoos so that's something you don't have to do anymore <laughs> because we try and hire fairly and equitably so we will hire the best person for the role 
based on what's in here rather than what you look like or anything like that. So if anything, government has very strict rules and regulations around that sort of thing. We have to score each applicant fairly and we base our decisions based on this score rather than, oh, we think that they're cool and they'll, they'll be good and then this person, oh, I don't like them. And so that government is quite good in that respect. So things are changing. It's very different to what a lot of the, before I joined government, what I thought it would be like. I thought it would be so boring and I would just have the worst time and everyone would be boring and bland and I just wouldn't find anyone I would be friends with there and I've ended up with lots of friends and really enjoying it. So put all that aside, it's not like that at all. So it sounds like it's open-minded in certain departments even very dynamic but certainly more progressive than the, perhaps the stereotypes that we've had over previous decades. So next up, I really want to invite Jodie to share with all of us the different stages of recruitment and her tips on how to get noticed. So the stages, it really depends on the department. We're not all the same. So I guess one thing to know if you're going through a process is that we have to assess every candidate fairly and the same. So if you're getting asked a bunch of questions, that 100% of the time be asking every candidate those same questions so that it's fair and we can score everyone and everyone gets the same opportunity to present themselves. So the process is, I guess, initially, I know it can be tempting to go for coffee and blah, 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 all that sort of thing, which I love doing, but we don't always have time to do that as a recruiter to meet with everyone that applies. Government roles can be like a hot commodity or they're very popular. So um, we don't always have time to meet with everyone and it can be seen as favoring or it can be seen that we're favouring that applicant over other applicants who are also going to apply for that role. In saying that, I have people reach out to me just to say, do you have any tips or um, can I have some hints or just quickly give me a bit of a, your in your words, what the role is and that sort of thing, because that can be handy to do. Um, when you're looking at the job on description online, sometimes we use words that no one knows what is going on. And I think that's where a lot of that has fed into that misconception that you have to have worked in government before. Because you'll read those and be like, oh, I don't know what that is. It must be a government acronym. And really, like if you actually sit down and look at it, I wish I had an example to talk through, but um, a lot of it is just you can translate it into your own layman's terms. You just have to sometimes spend some time sort of studying it and being like, oh, what could that mean? Or asking someone, what does that mean? Can we so, stop for a second on that one? I love yes. that. What I'm hearing from Jody is please don't be scared off by a job description. Either you could reach out to a recruiter and say, hey, just in, in a few sentences, can you describe what this role is about? Such a good tip. Another option would be to talk to someone related to that department or in government that might be able to interpret it for you. Yep. And then the, the tip that I want to add is, would you agree with this, Jody? Like a job description is a Santa Claus wish list. You're putting everything there that you'd like, but you understand yeah. one person may meet all the requirements. Yes. Some of the things we put in there are historic. I find sometimes that the job description, this, is, this isn't for every department at all, uh, but they can be quite old school and they say, you must meet this, this and this and this. These are all the key selection criteria. And a lot of people, I mean, women in particular, will see one point that they like, oh, I don't have that. I won't bother applying, which I think is common knowledge. Now we all know that in ourselves. I know I do that. And so it's it's important to think, well, I don't have that specific skill, but what do I have that could also, I could also do that? Like I don't have it, but I could do it. And how can I prove that I can do that thing? So that was one of my tips, I guess, is to look at your transferable skills. And if you're, if it says, for example, where I work in talent acquisition, sometimes people ask for HR degrees, which I, I mean, that's good. I don't think it's relevant to talent acquisition at all. <laughs> it is relevant. It's just not necessary. But sometimes you'll find it's uh, mandatory for this HR degree for a, a talent acquisition role. So I'd, I'd look at that and I'd query it and I'd still probably apply for that role because I'd, I'd have 
experience to go there and I've got transferable skills and I have had exposure to HR. I just haven't formally studied it. So there's things like that. If it raises questions for you, you can always call up and ask and be like, is this really a deal breaker? And a lot of people say yes or no. <laughs> and also it's the hiring manager too. Sometimes the hiring managers are really particular about what goes in the advert. So they might say, they might have an idea of, oh, I want this, this and this, but on the inside, like as a talent person, you know, I know that they'll look at someone that's also got this, this and this. So it's important to ask the question and don't be afraid to pick up the phone. If there's a contact number on there, give that person a call or shoot them an email or reach out to them on LinkedIn, whatever it is. As long as it's not inappropriate and you're not asking for things that maybe they wouldn't provide to other candidates because they'll probably shut you down then. It can't hurt to call up and clarify things. If you're just not sure, it doesn't make sense. Yeah, why not do it? (laughs) And so, I mean, a rule of thumb would be if if you're going to ask a question on the phone or email that you think, well, that might just take three to five minutes for them to answer. It's entirely reasonable, isn't it? Yeah, you can flick them an email and I mean, probably the phone call is easier, then you get an answer straight away. <laughs> and some, I mean, I know working recruitment, we get loads of emails every day, all day. So probably it's just better to pick up the phone. If there's a contact number there, I'd do that. Sometimes the contact number is the hiring manager. So we sometimes put the hiring manager's contact number on the advert. And then you're speaking directly to the person that will be your manager so then you can feel free to sort of probe and be like what's it like there what's the culture like all that sort of stuff yeah i mean you can ask that of the talent acquisition person too but um why not if there's a number i'd call (laughs) it's such a good tip because i think it's so much easier to do email but it's going to sound it's going to be so much more efficient to call plus think about what jody just said they've got tons of emails if you want to stand out if you want a quicker response fine i also love the tip that it's okay to ask a bit about the culture and the role and expectations I think a lot of people are shy about that. I think they think that, well, I'll wait for the interview, but what I'm hearing is go for it. I mean, you can wait for the interview if you want to. It's a nice little, like, add-on question at the end. Then what if they don't let you have the question time at the end? (laughs) So then you haven't had a chance to ask your question. You can always ask it both two times, like, that's fine. But, I mean, it's important to know um, that a a lot of attitudes are changing now and it's a weird time to find work. So you need to make sure that it's the right role for you as well. Those questions help you understand whether it's the role for you. Um, And if people can't really answer them or they're like, yeah, it's okay, sort of gives you an insight into whether maybe it isn't the right role or it is and it depends what's important to you. So so I I love asking those questions because if someone can really run through if I say, what's the culture like? They're like, it's great, but don't give me any examples. I would like, I want to know what sort of projects you're working on and what's the diversity inclusion stats like and all that sort of stuff just to help me make a decision as to whether I work there or not. Their questions, don't be afraid to ask them. They're, I, for me, I think that's insightful and it's, um, it just shows that you've got initiative and you're actually really interested in the business. I guess that's something else to talk about is just knowing the values of the company as well and the business objectives if they're available. So for example, at Rhodes, that was quite major road projects, obviously a really big project projects happening around Victoria. So they're very public and there's lots of media about them and all that sort of stuff. So you should at some point have come across, got stuck in the roadworks or something that we're, that um, MRPV we're, we're building or um, you've, yeah, or you've seen the advertising for it and all that sort of stuff. So knowing those business objectives, so you know about the big build and that sort of thing, or knowing the values of the business and because there will always be, usually within the interview, there's a question that's in relation to the values because they want to make sure you, you meet the values as well as the key accountabilities of the role. So that's important. So just doing your research, but pick up the phone and just ask if you can't find the values, you can just pick up the phone and ask them and be like, hey, I'm just looking for where I can find the best info. Where can I go? And where's all about, where do you list your values and how can I look at them and that sort of thing. Fantastic. And so in terms of the application process and, and I know that government is a bit more specific in terms of how people apply. Can you give any tips around that? 
unfortunately with government, I mean, it's not unfortunate, it makes it fair for everyone. You do have to apply through the official applicant tracking system. So you do need to apply online and um, submit your application that way because that's so everyone has to do that and that's so it's fair and equitable for everybody. Of course, if you have technical issues, I know people sometimes do, they wait till the last minute <laughs> and then they can't upload their application and that's when you can call and just say, hey, I didn't get it in, but can I email it or whatever? It's obviously an option, but it is preferred that you do it online. And so if you do meet up with someone for coffee and you go and chat to them or you call them about the role and that sort of thing, you kind of try and sell yourself in, you won't be able to then say, oh, I'll send you my CV, give me a call if you're interested, or it just wouldn't work that way. You do need to apply through the official portal and people will go through and assess all the applications the same. Everyone gets assessed against the same criteria and then they'll produce a short list. So it'll be a panel of people assessing and they'll produce a short list of people who they want to speak to and then from there shortlisted again to who they will interview. So there is a bit of a process. Every department has that, no matter if they're new or old or anything like that. It just has to be because it has to be fair for everybody. When you think about it, if you're not working in government, you or even if you are, you, you pay our wages <laughs> with your taxes and that sort of thing. So we have to have it fair and equitable for everyone in the community to be able to apply for our roles. That's how I sort of explain it to people. Could we pick perhaps the top three mistakes people make in those um, online applications? Oh, that's a good one. I'd say the ones that I see, oh, it's not mistakes. It's more sometimes they're government roles, not all, but um, people are leaning away from addressing key selection criteria now in a separate bit of paper. And it used to be this big thing, like you had to set aside a few hours to go through and it's like an essay and you have to write how you address each of the key selection criteria. Where the most recent places I've worked, we actually assess that throughout the process anyway. So we don't ask people to do that anymore. And to be honest, if someone submits a, if you submit a page of key selection criteria and how you've addressed it, and I've asked, I've specifically said, you don't need to do that. I probably won't look at it because it's usually we'll say you don't need to do that because we're expecting a high amount of applications and we don't have, we just don't have time to assess that and then also assess you against the same criteria throughout the process. So if it says no no KSC or key search criteria, just don't do it. <laughs> so what we're saying is you don't need to worry about it. It's a change that's been yeah. due to the volume and that will save people two to three hours of time. That's fantastic. Yeah, I think it is. And it's, it's it, people worry and they call and they're like, are you sure no KSC? And I'm like, yes. <laughs> and again, if you're not sure, call. Like just call and check because it it's a new thing and a lot of government departments are starting to do it now, but there's still some that still do ask for it. And that's fine. If you do address the key selection criteria, I would use examples for each of the key selection criteria. So rather than I can do this because I can, I would say I can, yeah, if say the number one criteria is project management, project managing projects within our department to completion, you'd be like, oh, I can do that. Uh, this is an example when I worked in my current role, I've just recently finished a project and this is what we did and I've studied this project management course and all that sort of stuff. So you use actual examples rather than just I can do that because I have been doing it they're good little tips yeah no that's fantastic and you can even follow the car principle can't you the context action result and just have it'll just be a bit briefer than what your interview example would be me personally actually when i'm applying for roles if it asks for key selection criteria i don't use all my best i, I save some of my exa best examples <laughs> i don't use the best ones <laughs> Just use such a good you know, tip, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you don't want it because sometimes people are a bit funny about if you use it in 
that response and then you also use it in the interview and they're like no I've already heard this one and then you're like oh but that was my best one so it's good to save it just use the ones that you know are good maybe not the best and then if you get to the interview you've got some extras there and speaking of actually another tip that I have and this is a huge one it's mainly for people like me that get really nervous and I sometimes get I just have total mind blanks in interviews and people will ask me behavioral questions because there's always behavioral questions and um, I forget what I've ever done for work (laughs) I can't even remember where I work or what like I just anxiety so taking notes and you can take in notes it's not it's not foreboding or anything like that obviously as long as it's a small amount of notes some dot points not whipping out a laptop or anything like that I actually don't ever really use notes I just have them there in case and it puts my mind at ease to know that I've got them in case I have a mind blank and just knowing that they're there I don't have the mind blank it's really weird so you're more than welcome to bring in notes and I do have people that sometimes will I'll ask a behavioral question addressing a selection criteria and they'll look through the notes and be like oh yes there's a time that I did this and so it's bringing in notes and covering off when I'm going for an interview, I just make sure I've covered off everything in the key selection criteria in the PD. I'll make sure on my little my little wad of notes, I've got an example for each of those key selection criteria to talk about. And, and then it sort of sells yourself. The, the panel are confident that you've done this role before, basically, even if you haven't specifically done it before. You've done every duty on there in some way or another, whether it's transferable or not. So about preparing, that's a big one. Yeah, absolutely. I love every tip there. So fantastic. And then as also, as Jody said, it's worth covering, have a look at the values and it's worth potentially having an example around one of the values you think that they will want to test out, which might be around diversity or some kind of special, unique policy that's got to do with that company. And the other one would be motivation for the role. I mean, certainly when I was interviewing, I was gobsmacked at how hard people found it to articulate their motivation for the roles it's definitely worth doing a bit around that isn't it the motivation is it's funny i think people forget about it when they're preparing and then they're like oh gosh i didn't even think about that it was available (laughs) it's important to know because the interview is a good chance for someone to test out whether it's the right role for them and to display their skills but it's also the panel are trying to decide whether they want someone that's going to be passionate and the panel want to feel special (laughs) like why have you chosen us to apply for so it's important to think about even if you have been applying for you know a million roles and you've got um, heaps of interviews coming up um, and you are out of work and you just need a job it's important to think about what what about this role really actually when I saw the job ad I was like oh I could actually do this this looks good what was it specifically about the role that really stood out to you people might ask you why did you choose us specifically like why did you want to if you want to give back to the community why why justice why us specifically when you could go and volunteer or you could do something so it's important to think why specifically this role it's important to talk about as well the skills that you have that you can offer I find sometimes actually another mistake is, well, it's not a mistake, it's honest, but saying, oh, this is a step up for me and be such a great career move for me and career opportunity. And that is true. And it's, you can say that, but I think it's important to also highlight how you're going to benefit us not just how we're going to give you a job and it's promotion and it's going to be good for you that's not that's not really motivating it's um it's more i'm i'm ready for this opportunity because i've done this this and this i've worked in this project i've managed people this is why you should pick me for this role it's demonstrating your skills how you fit the role but also you can can be honest and say and to be honest this is a step up and it's i'm ready for this and what this is why i'm ready so it's important to keep that in mind as well Yeah, I agree with you. I think you can say that, but as long as you're spending 98% of the time demonstrating the value you offer them, how they will benefit from you, because yeah, exactly. That's exactly what they want to do. Put it in the middle, like it, this is how I'll benefit you, but this is how it benefits me, but then this is also how I'll benefit you. So it's sandwiching it right in the middle. <laughs> oh, I love that. 
So we've covered a bit about applications, a bit about the selection criteria. We've covered a bit about interviews. Mm. Is there any other part of the process you'd like to share something on? Not really. That's probably the hardest bit is just the panel interview. The application process is always really confusing for people in the panel interview. I guess some other little things that are important and I guess covering off on one of your clients who submitted those questions around how they can sort of stand out compared to people that have worked in government before. What are some things that will help them stand out? And I think to put in perspective there's um sometimes when you're talking about for example if you're going to go into talent acquisition and you want to you've got this like pie in the sky idea of the role or even project management you're like i'm like you've worked in private companies where you've got endless amount of money and you don't you know you work to a budget but it's huge and you've got all these staff at your disposal and that sort of thing i think sometimes talking like that can put people off so it's important to know when you're coming to government there are really strict structures and guidelines and legislation and you get a certain amount of budget and if you want more money you have to go and request it from parliament and all that sort of stuff so it's important to know that those sorts of big pie in the sky ideas can sometimes put people off which is where I fault sometimes because I'm definitely like that but because I've worked in government I know as well to taper down my expectations sometimes (laughs) like I've got these like amazing ideas but then I also have some trusted people I work with that I'll bounce them off and they're like no no I won't apply (laughs) So if you're talking about sometimes people will ask you, the panel member might say, oh, why do you want to make the jump into government from working in private? And if, if you aren't aware, it's important to be aware that those will be some of the, the red tape. You'll, you'll come up against a lot of red tape um, and there'll be restrictions there and you won't always get your own way and you won't always get to finish that project or, you know, government changes or there's different policy changes and you don't get to do what you wanted to do and it's frustrating. But if you're aware of that and you speak to that, that shows people that they're like, oh, you have you do have thought about this and you do know what the differences are. But if you can't in and you're like oh I'm so keen to come in and make changes Uh, everyone's like oh it's not going to work he's not going to fit in (laughs) or you're just going to be disappointed (laughs) yeah understanding that you can still be an ideas person but understand that there's yeah different frameworks and restrictions and changes that will happen so I guess yeah demonstrating that understanding that some things might fly and some things might not and that that you can roll with that Mm. yeah I think that's my biggest weakness (laughs) myself (laughs) Um, I've always got these like these ideas that are just outlandish. <laughs> and, that's probably why you go in and out, yes? Yeah, I get the best of both worlds. And then I get out to private and I'm like, oh, it's also the same. <laughs> yeah, it's nice. It's nice to be in. And you just need, I have people that I bounce ideas off that are the opposite to me that are more like logical and concerned more about the finer details. And, the, and you need to find those people. <laughs> that's another tip, I guess, if you do get in, is finding those people that you can, that are different to you, that you can bounce those ideas off. So I've got sort of like my little, my people that bring me down to earth, that if I've got this idea, is it going to fly? And before I present the idea, um, just run it by them first. So I guess a tip is to just know what you're getting yourself into in terms of the differences between private and government because there are differences. What I love is I typically recommend to clients to do coffee catch-ups with people who are working in the department that they want to work in. And I love that you're adding to that that they, I can actually phone either the recruiter or the hiring manager depending on what numbers there. But it just not like anyone. Like anyone would have an idea. Sorry to cut you off. Um, anyone would have an, an idea of what government's like. like. It's hard to explain. So if you just say you want to go into just say project management role in one department, find a sister department that's got maybe a project manager. Reach out to that person on LinkedIn and be like, "Do you have time for coffee? Just want to pick your brain." And I mean, that's if you're comfortable doing that. I'm I'm an extra massive extrovert, so I'm like, I'm so happy to do that. But some people wouldn't. But if you are, it just definitely makes a difference because they will have come up against probably similar challenges to what you will. So it's it's important to just know what you're getting yourself into. And even if you don't like it, or at least you know and you can prepare for it, you can talk to it in the interview and be like, I understand what I'm coming up against. 
but I want to make the jump in. I think another question that you submit was submitted was about agencies and working, te doing temp work. And we do have a panel of agencies that we utilize. I won't rattle them off, but they're some of the big, the big ones. It is publicly available. You can actually go on the, the VPSC website and find the, although this was for Queensland government, but you can go on the VPSC website and find the panel of providers and you can reach out to them. Um, but that's how I got my job in government. Not saying that you have to go through an agency to get a job in government, but it's a good try before you buy. You might do a, a temporal and you don't like it. <laughs> and then you've got that ability to sort of say, oh, that's the end of my assignment. That'll do. So it's a good, a good way to try before you buy. It's actually a really good option. You're not sure if you want to make the jump in or not. It's a genius tip. I love it. Another question was how to talk about project management experience from outside the government in a way that's attractive. Is there specific language that needs to be adopted or are there projects such as partly government funded ones that would impress people? I mean, going back to that, if you have exposure to government or you know what you're getting yourself into, because you're outside of government, if you talk to oh, we came up against this red tape, this challenge, and this is how we overcame it. And they're government-specific challenges. That'll be really impressive for the panel because they'll be like, oh, you know, they know what to expect and they know how to get around that challenge, which we've been struggling with for a long time or whatever it is or that we come up against all the time. So yeah, government-funded projects would definitely be good to talk to or not. Like it just really depends. Like if you've got some, I mean, every every project has hurdles and changes and roadblocks and it's just talking to those and how you get around them and how your thought process of how you did that rather than missing out that that sort of stuff is the way you think is the way is what's going to get you that role. Because if you're thinking logically and you're like, I consulted many people and I took into account this, this and this, and then we decided to take this route got this sign off like that's the sort of stuff we like to hear rather than someone just coming in all guns blazing and doing whatever they want that won't that won't work so someone that can consult and look at other departments and keep everything sort of I mean the role of project manager is to have a high level view of everything that's happening in that project so yeah someone that can talk to that and the, the details and and how they liaise with people and cooperate with everyone and coordinate and all that sort of fun stuff so if you don't have any government funded projects to talk about don't let that put you off you can definitely still talk about anything else <laughs> 100 and if, if you think about jobs i mean the transferability of a project manager to different sectors is is huge um you may need they may use some different software but it's so transferable if you're new to myself or jody we're talking about providing specific data we really mean it so when jody was saying consulted x and talk to Y and make this decision because of that decision where she's actually saying you need to fill in those blanks mm. so a lot more detail than you potentially describing if it's been a while since you've had an interview but certainly yeah reach out to one of us if you need some guidelines on that uh, another question from a client in Queensland does she need to be worried about the impact of elections would there be hiring freezes in Queensland you can speak from your experience have you noticed any themes with election changeovers is there usually a period of time when yeah. there's less recruitment I'd imagine so yeah there, yeah there is but um, in saying that there's some uh, there's some areas I mean justice is one where the just because there's a change in government doesn't mean that things slow down so we still need to recruit and we still have frontline staff that need to be recruited sometimes with project management roles or something sort of back-end policy legislation changes that those roles will go on hold until usually if there's a change in government we'll go through a machinery of government or a mog and they'll rejig all the departments and we might merge with some or we might split or whatever it is once the mogs are over we will then start to look to ramp up again with those project policy legislation people all that sort of stuff because we need them back again but in terms of frontline sort of roles those still continue on because they're still we still need to provide that service to the community. So it really depends on the department, I think, and it depends on the type of role you're applying for. So I'd say yes and no. 
those changes. Um, some people go into recruitment free, some don't. Yeah, so I've, I've actually never been through recruitment free, to be honest, in any of the places I've worked. Just that's been- really good to hear because that's a, that would be an easy assumption to make. And so what I'm hearing too is that's potentially something you could be asking too or when you're having those 15-minute Zoom or coffee catch-ups yep. or one-day in-person catch-ups. It can be one of the questions, you know, is your department affected by election changeovers or not? And if so, yep. which roles and things like that? If someone asked me that in an interview, I'd be like, you are keen into what's happening, like clued on more than me. <laughs> you know what I mean? They're just the questions that I don't. I forget to ask myself. I probably wouldn't be able to answer it, to be honest, but it makes you set, obviously you know the election's coming up, you're politically minded, which is good, and you've sort of got that awareness, which is good. And I mean, if anything, it'd be just, even if we couldn't answer that question for you or we couldn't give you a solid answer, just show that you you are interested in the role and you are worried if you want to be there long-term. You don't want to start and then be made redundant or anything like that. So it's, yeah, I think it would show initiative if anything yeah oh fantastic one thing i want to add because i've been hearing everywhere that a lot of people going through redundancy outplacement programs are being told to network but network at a pace that i find a little bit alarming to be honest so i'm hearing from um, people that they've been told to connect with four to five people a week so if you're extroverted like jody that might be a fun challenge but if you're introverted like me i want to reassure you that connecting with quality over quantity is a perfectly excellent strategy so it might be connecting to one person a week or one person a fortnight going in with curiosity really wanting yeah asking to talk for 15 minutes and invariably it'll go for longer but just asking for that five to 15 minute chat where you can ask them all about them make it all about them then you'll yeah. this will actually it will totally work for you on this expanding your network and again reach out to me if you want more tips on that Jody, before we wrap up today is there anything else you'd like to share just be yourself like I, I think like I said before government isn't as scary as a lot of people think it is in terms of and they're not as straight-laced as a lot of people think they are um we're very much about being yourself at work and we're very pro cultural divert well, we're trying to be pro cultural diversity and and celebrating that, those different types of cultures and backgrounds and that sort of thing so if you're worried about a piercing or a tattoo and or you're worried that your experience is too private sector you haven't got any public you know that that sort of stuff that i think is not relevant anymore and again just check in with that hiring manager or that recruiter to check just say like hey i've worked in this business for so long but you someone with government experience specifically and they might say yes and you know I wouldn't bother applying then, but but a lot of the time they'll say no. So yeah, I think just be yourself. And my other tip as well, I think is, and this is just in general, not even getting into government, but if you don't get a good feeling from the interviews and you get dicked around a little bit, you go, you know, you hear back and all that sort of stuff. I think that's when you know to pull the plug yourself. I wouldn't want to work anywhere where someone just never replied to my emails, was rude to me when I called called up to ask a question or anything like that. I think it's important to to remember you're not a slave and they have to sell it to you. <laughs> It's just the way it is. It's candidate experience is key. So if you feel in your gut it's not the right move, yeah, maybe have a chat with someone like Nikki and just say, this person was rude to me when I called those questions and I just feel it's not right. It's probably not right. Yeah, I love that. That's really empowering tips all throughout. And I love that, Jodie, you really helped to take away the mystery that can shroud government sector roles. There's about 15 to 20 tips there. So I hope you all enjoyed listening to this. So helpful. Reach out to Nikki Smith, Jodie Smith. Let us know what you've loved about this chat today, what's been helpful, and naturally, if you have a question, let us know. Yeah, please do. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for coming. (laughs) Bye. Thanks for listening. If you want to hear more stories like this one, please subscribe and spread the word. Till next time.